Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Imagine being one of the first car companies, one of the best car companies, one of the most iconic car companies. And then at the height of your fame, you blow $4 billion on a single terrible car. That's exactly what the Ford Motor Company did in 1958. They built a car so bad that if you know its name today, it's probably because you played the crossword. Five letter word for auto flop, E-D-S-E-L, Edsel. The flop of all flops, the car that nearly bankrupted Ford. A car so ill-fated, it destroyed the legacy of the man it was named after. Can a car be cursed? How can billions of dollars go into the design, launch, and marketing of a vehicle only for it to be, how do we say, not good? Today on Pass Gas, we're talking about one of the biggest disasters in automotive history, the Ford Edsel. A car built by committees. For committees? That can't be right, because committees can't drive cars. At least not on Earth. Those who don't study flops are doomed to repeatedly drive them. What's a seven-letter answer for a radio show you download off the internet? P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Podcast. Or on second thought, Pass Gas. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about forts. P-A-S-T-G-A-S. Whoa. I never even realized that. Follow the money, dude. Dude, follow the money. <laughs> seven letters. Pass Gas. Many of the same letters, too. Dude, also, if you say pass gas backwards, it's sagst sap. Sagst sap? Do you guys ever have yak backs? Yak Yak backs? Yeah, it was a little tiny recorder that you say a phrase, and then you press backwards. I thought you meant meant like a meat, like a yak's back. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Yak back bacon, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of this show, Meat Hunter, Meat Eater. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. On Netflix. I love it. I want to go hunting. I think it's cool. You think you have it in you to like gut a big moose? Maybe. I think m- the thing that the first wall I'm going to run into is the hiking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big part yeah. of hunting. Well, this has turned into dad cast, but that is not the show we are today. We are past gas. I am your host, Nolan Sykes, joined as always by... Uh, James uh, Remington Pumphrey. Well, hello, little boy. A uh, pleasure to see you again. <laughs> That's my new catchphrase. I'm trying to get it on a shirt. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just like uh, big on the back. Well, hello, little boy. Pleasure to see you again. And just a monocle. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, we got cold, cold weather Joe Weber over there. Uh, keep it warm. <laughs> why, wait, why am I cold weather? I thought I it was going to be a gun name. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you were talking about how you want to live on an island in Alaska. 
Joe was <laughs> or uh, James was talking about hunting, um, and that's that's how I choose the nicknames every week now. Whatever. Okay, I love just, that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, today we're talking about Edsel Ford and the car named after him. Um, Speaking of Ford, I just picked up this uh, original Ford GT GT40. At, Whoa, it's uh, so much smaller than it looks on in pictures. Yeah, I could not fit in that thing. Yeah, it's really hard to get into. Uh, <laughs> but I also got this one, which I'm so so excited about. A Delta Integrale. Oh, Delta, Ooh, yeah. that's a good one. What the hell? Where'd you get this? At the Cool Stuff store? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. The first chapter of the Edsel was written long before the car's launch in 1958. To figure out why this car was such a disaster, we need a little bit of Ford history. Good thing we're an automotive history show. Edsel Ford was born in 1893 in Detroit. He grew up in the Motor City before it was the Motor City. His entire childhood, he had a shotgun seat to watch his father, Henry Ford, build the automotive empire that shared his name. Big shoes. Big shoes to fill. Big shoes. You know what they say about big shoes? Hard to fill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Edsel seemed to share his dad's passions. He grew up tinkering with cars and learning everything there was to know about engines and design. Edsel looked up to his famous father, but unlike Henry Ford, Edsel was a kind man who enjoyed the finer things in life. He was stylish and aristocratic, in contrast to Papa Henry, who famously hated anything frivolous or luxurious. Yeah, like having a private chef uh, at your camping trips. Yeah, rough electricity it. at your camping trips. Do we have to revisit the 69 square? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have to get into him 69ing with Edison, but it happened 100% for sure. Henry Ford did 69 with Thomas Edison. Well, for a more uh, substantiated example, uh, whenever Henry visited Edsel's house, Edsel had to hide his fine wine collection. Wouldn't want your dad to know that you had the good stuff. Do you guys have a wine collection? <laughs> Not for very long. No. Yeah, I've got a couple wines. Why? Why me? <laughs> Sorry, that was really bad. <laughs> We're keeping that. Edsel believed that the Ford Motor Company needed to look towards the future, but his father was increasingly obsessed with the past. For instance, anyone who mentioned decommissioning the Model T was fired. <laughs> Why would you even yeah, think about doing that if you're like, yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, it's a pretty old car. Although their relationship was what we might call today toxic, Henry Ford still taught his son how to run the company. Henry Ford started the Ford Motor Company in 1903, and in 1919, Henry stepped down and named Edsel president of the company. Edsel knew what the future of Ford would be. In a sense, he was the future of Ford. Although he ran the company for a time, he never reached the bright future he dreamed of. Edsel died of stomach cancer on May 26, 1943, four years before his father died in 1947. Dang. Even though he died young, Edsel still managed to create a lasting legacy at Ford. Edsel was a talented designer, pushing the company to look beyond the Model T, at least when his dad wasn't in the room. It was Edsel's idea, for example, to buy Lincoln, a move that paid literal dividends for Ford stockholders. And Edsel is the reason the Lincoln Mercury division of Ford was even started. Without him, Henry Ford would have stuck to the Model T and the company would have never expanded. Edsel also loved foreign sports cars and was the first person in the U.S. to own an MG. On top of all that, Edsel was a generous philanthropist and patron of the arts, Unlike his dad, who didn't, quote, <laughs> believe in charity. Oh, God. Edsel was so interested in exploration, he helped finance Richard Byrd's flights to the North Pole and Antarctica. In fact, Edsel Ford has several mountain ranges in Antarctica named after him. And they're all flops. <laughs> <laughs> they're all the least successful mountain ranges. We had high hopes for this mountain range, but <laughs> it's barely dangerous. If Edsel had lived longer... Ford might have been a different company, and Edsel might be a five-letter word for successful genius. But it wasn't meant to be. Instead, control went to Edsel's son, Henry II, a.k.a. Hank Deuce. The Deuce. Hank the Deuce, who inherited the company before he was ready. 
Hank took the company public and brought in bureaucrats to help run Ford. Henry II also did his father possibly the worst disservice imaginable by naming the biggest flop in car history after him, the Edsel. In 1945, it was Henry II, Hank the Deuce, who became president of Ford. Henry had two incredible nicknames, HF2 and Hank the Deuce. The aforementioned. <laughs> HF2, that's, I, th- I think that's borderline good. Hank the Deuce, legitimate, incredible. Yeah. It means poops. I was, uh... Yesterday, I was driving home and thinking, like, what if, like, I didn't use my full name? Like, instead of use, going by Nolan J. Sykes, I was like, yeah, what's up? I'm, I'm the edge. <laughs> and this is the wheelhouse. <laughs> or, like, yeah. I think if you came know. in with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, may have hint, like, it may have hindered your trajectory here. It may have, like, influenced our opinion on you, changed it a little bit. If your name was, like, Bulldog. Yeah. If your name was Bulldog and you're like, yo, my name's Nolan, but like every like everybody, even my mom, my grandma call me Bulldog, I'd be like, Hell yeah, that's tight. And then I'm pretty tight. I think you would still probably host Wheelhouse. Bulldog. I'm, I'm Bulldog and this is Wheelhouse. <laughs> While Etzel was more of a nice guy, HF two inherited his grandpa's ruthlessness. Lee Iacocca called him ninety five percent a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> A very high percentage. (laughs) Dude, Leah Iacocca is so cool. (laughs) That guy's 95% a jerk. (laughs) Uh, Edsel Ford was always supposed to be the heir apparent, but he was dead. Meanwhile, Henry Ford, or Hank the Uno, the first Henry Ford, the, the main guy, was now a senile, delusional old man who had to be forcibly shut out of the company before he ran it into the ground. When Henry Ford II took over Ford, the company was on the brink of failure. You gotta take the keys away sometimes. You know, you don't <laughs> yeah. want grandpa hopping in the in the Taurus and driving uh, down Third Street Promenade. Yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes you just gotta put grandpa onto a sheet of ice and push him out into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean? what? <laughs> <laughs> Henry Ford had never believed in restructuring or corporate organizing. He had been a king in charge of his own kingdom. Luckily, like many jerks, Henry II had a talent for business, and the Ford Motor Company also got lucky, both from booming post-World War II economy and the disarray of one of their biggest Detroit rivals, Chrysler. Henry II realized he needed to copy what Ford's biggest competitor, General Motors, was doing and run a business, not a kingdom. He hired a new VP, poached a ton of former GM execs, and set up a company with clear departments and procedures. HF2 also hired a group of former Army Air Force officers who all had business degrees to come in and run analytics for the company. They became known as the Wiz Kids because when they first showed up, they started asking all the older employees tons of questions to get to know the business. They were nicknamed the Quiz Kids, which morphed into the Wiz Kids. He also <laughs> set up an actual finance department because in his grandfather's time, again, it was chaos. For example, in one department, costs were estimated by weighing stacks of invoices. Okay? What? Huh. <laughs> it's not even cash, like invoices. Like one could be $2 and one could yeah. be like $25,000. That's yeah. what I'm They weigh of. the same. What the like, hell? Like if you're weighing change, I get it. <laughs> you can probably get pretty close. And in another department, there's just a big jar of money. And they would guess how much money was in the jar. Guess the profit this year. Yeah, guess the profit this year. Is this a company that just makes, like, prioritizes uh, nicknames? They didn't have a finance department, but they did have a huge nicknames department. Yeah. All these kids are called the Wiz Kids. Let's call them Hank the Deuce. His name is HF2. Until Henry II, no one at Ford knew the exact cost to make one of their cars. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Uh, Still, there were some problems lurking with Henry II's management style. The whiz kids he hired were all business people who didn't really care about cars or understand the magic of Ford. If the conversation wasn't about profit and loss, they were at a loss themselves. This led to a growing chasm between the whiz kids at Ford on the money side and the engineers and the designers making products. Finance bros versus car guys. Classic rivalry. 
<laughs> By the late 1940s, the cars at Ford were all subject to so-called cost analysis, meaning a vehicle like the Continental, a car Edsel Ford had loved, was dropped because cost to build versus profit just didn't add up. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, they would bring back the Continental in the 60s, but I didn't know that's mm -hmm. why. Henry II also saw there was a need for cars in the medium price field. By 1949, he had set up a committee to figure out how to fill the gap for a mid-price car, but it led to almost a decade of the committee just talking and setting up more committees. Oh, God. At least when Henry Ford had been the dictator of the company, he could make a decision and go with it. The red tape was growing and nobody had the authority to hack a path through it. Ford also watched as GM continued to occupy the number one spot in the industry. One of the big reasons GM was turning such a profit was because they had figured out how they could use the same body for different models of cars. In 1939, all Ford cars were still using unique body shells. This meant a lot more time, energy, and money went into each different type of Ford car. Meanwhile, GM simplified its product line and made more money with less cost. Smart. I do it. Yeah, you all... if. Yeah. Okay. Just quick finance <laughs> lesson from Big Bro. You want to spend less money and make more. Yeah. You don't have to be a whiz kid to figure that one out. Einstein. Yeah. yeah Einstein. Didn't we? Is it on this show we decided that being called Einstein is worse than being called Dunk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I think so. laughs> Ford's biggest advantage was still their mass market cars. The Ford Legacy had been built on the cheap Model T, the car for every man. But Henry Ford II knew these cheap cars didn't turn the same profit. He knew they needed something in the middle to appeal to Americans who, especially after World War II, had a little extra money to burn. In 1955, two execs with Ford came up with a plan to compete with Buick and Chrysler. They proposed a whole new brand for Ford, a car for the upper end of the medium price field. They called it the experimental car or the e-car. Henry II had a strategy now. He just needed to execute it. Well, they already messed up because they didn't call it the X car. We all know that... X means experimental. It's not X, experimental yeah. if you use the E. By the 1950s, Hank the Deuce made a big decision. He took the company public. To please stockholders, HF2 and his whiz kids decided they needed their E car to compete with GM and Chrysler in the middle market. So what does this committee come up with in terms of design? A tribute to his fallen father, codenamed the Edsel. If you haven't seen a photo of the Edsel, its most distinguishing feature is the vertical grille. Ford did this because it was different from other American cars. GM used all horizontal grills, and the vertical grille was reminiscent of old classic European cars like Rolls-Royce, Jaguar, and Mercedes-Benz. But what about the rest of the car? What did that committee of designers come up with? If you haven't seen an Edsel, it looks like a cartoon version of a slick 1950s car. Uh, yeah, with with a big honking fish mouth on the front. Big carp, carp mouth. It's got real um, new BMW vibes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It does. Yeah, right? Oh, my yeah. God. Good Lord. Yeah, it's not a good looking car. <laughs> looks like a vacuum. So yeah, you got that large vertical grill. It also has a split front bumper, which is pretty sick. The um, cool. It also has side indentations or a scallop running from the rear quarter panel across the back to the other side. Tail lights are in a gull wing style with little protection from damage. The, the backup, the reverse light lenses are in a separate chrome housing between the tail light and bumper. Uh, it's just kind of ugly, you know? Yeah. This car, there's like a, just a, so many elements. And there's a lot going on. It's just too many cooks. Like there's no yeah. vision of what a car should look like. It's like, well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did this? Yes, oh, what if we yes. add this? Maybe we add this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And this is what you get when you design by committee. A good, yeah, a good um, analogy is they call improv art by committee. Mm -hmm. And a lot of improv is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> most. I'd say most improv is yeah. really bad. <laughs> I love ugly cars. And I know. this is a bit a <laughs> bit much. It's a bit much for me, this 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 Edsel. Uh, the Edsel had a few different body style options. The larger options were dubbed the Citation and the Corsair. 
The smaller options were the Pacer and Ranger. There was a two-door hardtop version, a four-door sedan, or a two-door convertible. Corsair was the same, but no convertible option. Just a lot of cars. A lot of two-door, four-door sedans, <laughs> a lot of convertibles. Citation's a horrible name for a car. I hate Citation uh, as a name. Like, why? Like, hey, the new Ford parking ticket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what? Why would you do that? Um, Ruin your day in a new Ford Citation. <laughs> Ford really wanted to cover all their bases by having a bunch of different options that were all extremely ugly. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is that the team whose job it was to design this car overthought the whole thing, as we mentioned. For example, here is some of the memo from the Edsel designers describing the car. Quote, Functional and aesthetic integration. Frontal theme combines nostalgic touch with modern straightforward vertical thrust. Side rear unification creates a novel feeling of harmonious relationship and apparent increase in length from a three-quarter rear view. Trendsetting rear end theme with rigorous recognition value. That's a lot of corporate jargon. Are you kidding me? It sounds like it was translated from another language. Yeah, it does. But also, it's just kind of funny um, because this actually sounds like language you'd hear in like a modern press release for a new car. Yeah, it hasn't changed at all. Yeah, it's a little robotic, but like not by much. (laughs) Trend setting rear. (laughs) That's what they describe Nolan's butt as. Hey, dump truck. Yeah, let's go. We all we all got we all went and got butts like Nolan once we saw his. Anyway, back back in Edsel land, in 1955, when the first model of the Edsel was shown to a boardroom full of executives, it was given a standing ovation. No. They looked at that vertical grille and the two-tone color scheme and the scallop siding and that functional and aesthetic integration and thought, yes, this is what's going to save Ford. It's good to know that even back in the 1950s, corporate business people were still bullshitting their way to the top, patting themselves on the back all the way. (laughs) The Edsel is a very funny-looking car. The front grille really does look like a Georgia O'Keeffe painting. I wasn't going to say it, but totally does. (laughs) (laughs) The overall design is very goofy, but it was a case of people just failing upward and continuing to think they're making something great. A pile-on of design, if you will. A Robert Downey Jr. Dr. Doolittle of car design. I've never seen that movie. Nobody has. It's the only movie that nobody's ever watched. The man went from being (laughs) Iron Man, one of the most iconic characters of the decade, to Dr. Doolittle. All right. All right. Let's keep it moving. All right. And the crappy about the the pylon and overthinking didn't end with the design of the Edsel. Even naming the car was overcomplicated. Like everything else with the development of this car, the process of naming the e-car took months. At first, the executives at Ford assumed that the car would be called the Edsel, but the whole Ford family really hated this idea. Henry II didn't want to see his dad's name on millions of hubcaps. And Edsel Ford's widow, Eleanor, hated the idea of her husband's name being on a car. Maybe she is the only one who knew what a failure it would be. So once again, a committee of people got together to come up with different names for the e-car. And once again, they made it too complicated. So here are the six rules for naming a car in the 1950s, according to the Ford Motor Company. Number one, the name shall be short, so it will display well on dealer signs. Like it. It shall have two or at the most three syllables to give it cadence. Expedition kind of broke that rule. It should be clear and distinct to aid in radio and television identification. So no Ford like. (laughs) Yeah, no Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Introducing the the new Ford. (laughs) The new Ford. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, It should start with either the letter C, S, J, or F. What? Subject to calligraphic sweep for ornaments and advertisement oh, signatures. So just I, I those letters cool. because they look cool in uh yeah, in cursive. Yeah. yeah. That's why that challenge cool. like Dodge's Challenger logo mm-hmm. in like yeah. that uh font. Oh. Mwah. Number five. 
It should not be prone to obscene double entendres or jokes, <laughs> nor should it translate into anything objectable. So we can't call it the Ford Wiener. All right. We can't uh, call it that. Throw away the gunch. That's not <laughs> being considered anymore. Uh, we cannot call it the Ford butthole. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. And then finally, it should be American. Cool. Uh, that's okay. that's checked off already. Well, like Chevy has the Monte Carlo, so I guess like oh maybe. yeah. Hmm. Even with all of these rules, Ford had trouble thinking of a name for the e car, so they hired an outside ad agency, but not before asking eleven different ad agencies to make formal presentations. Oh Again, this is all just to figure out the name of the car. The RFP must have been gnarly. Foot, Cone, and Belding, a Chicago-based ad agency who obviously is great at naming things, <laughs> <laughs> was hired and came up with 6,000 names. One way they generated names was by telling all of their employees that whoever came up with the winning name would win a car. Honestly, good strategy. Even with hiring an ad agency, executives from Ford were nervous that they wouldn't be able to come up with a name in time. So... They, they asked a local <laughs> poet, Marianne Moore, for suggestions. Apparently, Moore knew nothing about cars. Didn't care about cars, but liked the idea of naming a car. <laughs> so she came up with some great names, including, but not limited to, Intelligent Bullet, Utopian Turtle Top, what? What? and Dante Conmoto. Ooh, that one's kind of tight. That's what I want. I want to name myself that. Yeah. James Pumphrey, the Kentucky Cobra, <laughs> and Date Conmoto. <laughs> wow. So Andante means uh, to go in Italian. To go with motor, uh, basically. Yeah, yeah, dude. Andate Conmoto. That's my <laughs> new nickname. That's <laughs> to go with car. Andate Conmoto. Ford did not pick any of her names. In fact, oh. they didn't even pay her for her time. Oh, Instead, what? the two execs who had hired her sent her flowers on Christmas and called it a day. Cool. <laughs> cool. Finally, after several months, FCMB, the ad agency, submitted their top four names. The Citation, Corsair, Pacer, and Ranger. But after all that, the committee hated every one of those names, even though uh, all of those names would go on to be used. The agency brought out the second tier reject names, including Etzel. And one of the executives basically said, yeah, let's call it that. <laughs> when they asked Henry II uh, a second time to use his dad's name, he must have been sick of wasting time and money because he was just like, you know what? <laughs> okay. That's how we name all of our shows. After months of brainstorming, market research, hiring outside firms, making a poet work for free, uh, I think poets have to work for free. That's a law. Uh, and spending thousands of dollars, Ford went with what everyone assumed the e-car stood for in the first place. In 1956, Henry II, Hank the Deuce, announced to the world their new car would be named after his dead dad, the Etzel. This is the new um, Ford Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like what if Wendy's named a sandwich after Dave? Yeah, what they yeah. call it the it's Dave. It's got real bits of Dave in every oh, patty. God, no, <laughs> that's actually not that weird. If they would, if they would call the Dave, oh, it'd be great. Like the Big Dave. Yeah, Big Dave, dude. That's what that was my dad's nickname. Yeah, my dad's like, name is Small Jim. Really? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Small Jim's like a really cool nickname for like a keyboard player or something. Yeah, I, I'm sure he would take offense to that, though. <laughs> <laughs> now that Ford had the car designed, built, and named, it was time for drumroll, please. Marketing. The ad campaign began in 1956, and like everything else with the Edsel, it was overly complicated. Before Ford had built the car, they had done some market research, including an analysis of the cocktail mixing abilities of the buyers of various brands. You know, because how a person makes a drink really tells you what car they're going to buy. They took the market research and tried to advertise the car to upwardly mobile, middle income, and professional families. At this point, you'd think Ford would finally be ready to show off their car to the general public. 
But politics at the Blue Oval kept getting in the way with different execs having different ideas for how to best sell the Edsel. One of these execs, Fairfax Cone, <laughs> cool name. That's a sick did, name. Didn't even want an ad, he didn't want an ad campaign because he wanted the car to speak for itself. It's a very forward-thinking, Tesla-esque uh, way of uh, going about it. Here's an actual quote from Cone. We think it would be awful for the advertising to compete with the car. We hope no one will ever ask. Say, did you see that Etzel ad in a newspaper, magazine, or on television? But instead, that hundreds of thousands of people will say and say again, man, did you read about the Etzel or did you see that car? That is the difference between advertising and selling, okay? Okay? <laughs> All right, dude. Like, I don't know why you're getting so worked up about this. Yeah. An asshole thing you wouldn't understand. <laughs> Another executive, uh, Larry Doyle, was in charge of the actual dealerships and made some similarly questionable decisions. He set up all new Edsel dealerships before they sold the first car, and without anyone at the dealerships having seen the car when they signed on. By 1957, he had set up 12,000 new Edsel dealers in the U.S. So by 1957, there was no stopping this train wreck. They had commitments to all of these dealerships. And still, no one had seen the car yet. Well, always a bad sign. Anyway, in June 1957, Ford had set aside $250 million for the launch of the Edsel. And that's 57 money, dude. That's a... That's <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That was just for the launch. Uh, it was over a billion in today's money. Good Lord. Not only were Ford execs spending tons of money, but they're keeping everything top secret. They even shipped an Edsel, totally wrapped up and under security, to Los Angeles to film a commercial. And every person on the cast and crew had to keep the car a secret with NDAs all around. Luckily, smartphones were not a thing back then. Although, if someone did take a picture of an Edsel, it would probably break their camera. Zing. Yeah. Got him. Yeah, dude. Dude, you are wow. wilding out. <laughs> Whoa, dude. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A few months before the official E-Day, a teaser ad was dropped in Life magazine where they showed a blurred picture of the Edsel in the <laughs> distance with the words, Lately... Some mysterious automobiles have been seen on the roads. <laughs> Two weeks later, they put out another teaser ad with a picture of the Edsel under a car cover with the words, a man in your town recently made a decision that will change his life. <laughs> He's God. leaving his wife. <laughs> yeah. Not ominous at all. Just your standard car ad. You know, who wouldn't want to buy something with ads like those? By spring of 1957, Ford was doing everything to heighten the mystery of the Edsel. Ford's new public relations director, Gail Warnock, even went on a speaking tour with a few other Ford execs where they developed a multimedia spectacular that cost $5,000 each time it was presented. It was a presentation where they didn't even show the actual car. It was basically $50,000 in today's money to give a 1950s version of a TED Talk. Okay. Again, without showing the car. Getting closer to the launch, Ford did a formal press preview where they invited 250 journalists and their wives to Dearborn, Michigan for a formal presentation and test driving of the Edsel. But even this was over the top. 
none of the journalists were women. No. And right. if and if they were, their husbands would not let them go somewhere <laughs> for work. Yeah. Unlike a normal press day, 71 of the journalists were given a new Edsel to drive home and deliver to dealers in their hometowns. The whole cost of this big day was nearly a million dollars in today's currency. It's a lot of money to show off a new car to the press. I do have to wonder how, like, uh, James, you and I, we went to uh, Park Park City, Utah for the launch of the Edge ST. Uh-huh. And I have to wonder how much that cost. So we don't do it anymore, but we used to get invited to these press event things. And it's just a bunch of journalists. You have really nice food. You drive the car around for a day. Then you have really nice food. And then you drive a little bit more and you stay in a really nice hotel and you just eat all this really nice food and you get really cool gifts. I love it. <laughs> it's, I it's love these press the, events. It was, it's, it was a fun perk. It was very, it was a lot of fun. Those were the days. Anyway, to make matters worse uh, for the Edsel reveal, the stunt didn't even work that well. A few journalists given Edsels to drive home didn't make it. They got into car accidents. One of the car's brakes didn't work. One car's oil pan fell out and the engine froze. And one journalist was driven off the road by another driver trying to get a look at the new Ford mystery car. (laughs) What a disaster. The last one wasn't their fault. No, yeah. but it's still not good. No. Uh, another big publicity stunt for the launch was the Edsel Show, a television <laughs> special where Ford spent $400,000 to promote the new Edsel cars. It was a one-hour variety show that featured Ed Sullivan, Bing Crosby, and F- Frank Sinatra, <laughs> just to name a few. But this didn't really help the sales of the Edsel. However, it did get nominated <laughs> for an Emmy. Wow. <laughs> So that's pretty cool. They should have done a, a Mr. Ed crossover, a Mr. Edsel, where they made a talking Edsel. Oh, yeah. yeah and Mr. Ed. Mouth. Yeah. Does it have room for my uh, foals? <laughs> <laughs> Is that how Mr. Ed speaks? Yeah, <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. He's slower. <laughs> and he doesn't go. <laughs> <laughs> he talks like Johnny Cash. <laughs> this is such relevant. <laughs> like, no one. No, no one under the age of 30 knows what we're talking about, but uh, <laughs> this show remember... is almost 100 years old. It's like 80. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, even if Ford was botching the rollout design and naming of the Edsel, they still knew how to make a car. Kind of. The most redeeming feature of the Edsel was the engine. To quote the book Disaster in Dearborn, the E-475 engine was based on the Lincoln Mercury 430 cubic inch V8 using the same stroke with a smaller bore to give it a reduced displacement of 410 cubic inches. In that form, the engine was unique to the Edsel. It was also unique in that it had a new three-state dual thermostat cooling system. This system, Whoa. although presenting maintenance problems later, offered faster engine warm-up, increased fuel economy, and longer engine life. I mean, that's a massive engine. It's a big old boy. Yeah, that's a... Whew. <laughs> Once again, the problem wasn't the engine or the making of the car. It was all the overcomplicating. Uh, some of the add-on features were over the top, like the touch lubrication that let a driver lube the chassis with a touch of what? control knob on the dash. What? Lube the chassis lube or the, the chassis. I got to look this up. Edsel Touch lubrication yeah this is uh mate want to go incognito on this one Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> what does lube the chassis mean so if you if you're driving along and you hear like your suspension squeaking you can be mm. like squish and then no more squeaking <laughs> <laughs> no james lube too much <laughs> Some of the add-on features were over the top, like the touch lubrication that let a driver lube the chassis with a touch of a control knob on the dash. Okay, so according to Haggerty, the auto lube system sent grease from a reservoir under the hood through a network of lines to each grease point in the front suspension. All the driver needed to do was push the button once a day while driving. You got squeak squeak free front suspension. But once a day, though, that's like yeah, kind of that's a, a hassle. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. No one said being at the top was easy. Bah. <laughs> <laughs> the standard features were not great either. 
They put the controls for the push-button automatic transmission on the steering wheel where the horns were normally located. So drivers who were used to driving normal cars would think that they were honking the horn but ended up shifting gears. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Not even the taillights were good. They were boomerang-shaped and positioned almost in reverse. So at a distance, they looked like arrows pointing in opposite directions. So when you put on the left turn signal, the arrow looked like it was pointing right. <laughs> 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 the customers could also customize their Etzel, maybe a little bit too much. They could add features, change the two-tone paint colors, add luxury trims. You could have a two-door, a four-door, a hard top, soft top. Ford was desperately trying to impress and break into this medium price market. Just trying to do too many things all at once. Yeah, a little bit thirsty. Yeah, it's like uh, if it's like when you start drawing a picture or like writing a story with like one word at a time and then you pass it like to the next person and you get it back and it's it's nonsense but it's fun it's fun but it's yeah. nonsense i feel like ford is still doing this like with the bronco like there are so many options you can get with it yeah that makes sense though because the bronco like the off-road market is like very aftermarket yeah, yeah. centric yeah, yeah like uh, I, I think back then aftermarket and modifying your car wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. Yeah. So how did the Edsel and Ford do when it was finally released to the public? Well, Americans had mixed feelings. After all the buildup and anticipation, when people finally saw the Edsel with its vertical grill, they were unimpressed. Some people hated it so much that they said it looked like an Oldsmobile sucking on a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Others called it a... <laughs> Others called it the horse collar. And yes, some people did compare it to a vagina. Can't blame them. This this episode has like the most sick burns I've never heard per yeah. capita. It's like, this guy's 95% jerk. Look at that horse collar over there. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Ford execs knew it was a flop. At the big launch party thrown at Etzel headquarters, legend has it that McNamara, the top-level executive of Ford, told the head of the ad agency that they had hired Fairfax Cone. Quote, of course you realize you're going to have to let all these people go. We've decided to discontinue the Etzel. Robert McNamara would go on to be the Secretary of Defense. Whoa. Wow. The Ford Motor Company had made the ad company build an office in Detroit just to oh, handle God. the Etzel account. They had set up an entire division just for the Edsel. They had set up 1,200 dealerships. And day one of the launch, at the party, they shut it down. <laughs> Sheesh. 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 Robert McNamara, one of the former Wiz kids, was in charge of Ford's car and truck division. Right at the launch of the Edsel, the guy in charge had no real love for cars. <laughs> McNamara cared only about profit and numbers. And the Etzel did not deliver profit or numbers. The Etzel was already cursed by its name by committee, goofy design by committee, marketing by mystery and surprise. And finally, <laughs> the year it was released, the stock market crashed. Oh, no. On E-Day, 6,500 cars were sold. But by the end of the month, the sales dipped and the projected sales were around 10,000 cars per year, which is half of what the company had planned for. The press also hated the Etzel. Consumer Reports said, The luxury loaded Etzel will certainly please anyone who's confused gadgetry with true luxury. <laughs> Ooh. Nice. That guy is a snob. In, 19, <laughs> in 1958, Car Life ran the headline, Etzel, Ford's biggest flop? Not a great first year for any new car. No. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. After all that buildup, the Etzel was a flop. The press hated it. The people who bought them hated it. It made less than half of what it was projected to make. And in 1958, Ford consolidated the Etzel with Lincoln and Mercury making a new Mercury Etzel Lincoln division. Or meld. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Because of, this, <laughs> because of this consolidation, thousands of Etzel division employees were laid off. Financially, the Edsel was selling so poorly, it did not make sense to continue to let it have its own division. By 1959, Ford was already scaling back on all of the models for new Edsels. Three years later, the Edsel would be no more. The last model year of Edsel was 1960, only three years after its launch. 
If we've learned anything today, it should be never, ever, 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 ever build a car by committee. And certainly don't hire an ad agency to do an engineer's job. Could anything have saved the Edsel? What's a five-letter word for probably not? Maybe if Edsel, the man himself, hadn't died young. Maybe if one person had taken the reins and said, we aren't going to try and do everything with this car. We're just going to make a good car. Maybe if they hadn't paid Frank Sinatra and Ed Sullivan so much money. Hey, I mean, they did win an Emmy, though, so yeah. give them props on that. Or maybe if the economy hadn't crashed, the year was released, we'll never know. But a sweet epilogue is Edsel's are now considered very desirable collector cars. A semi-happy ending, half a century later. And I will say that uh, I want to... I don't want an Edsel at the moment, but I can definitely see myself finding one and doing something dumb <laughs> to it. Coyote swap Edsel. Listen, I, every car is cool. I appreciate every car. You don't have to say you want every car. I, dude, a Coyote swap Edsel. No, with, you won't even put so a elephant in your Dodge Dart, dude. I know. That's that's that. I don't want a elephant in that. That's why. <laughs> Uh, but I, a coyote would be sick in this freaking take one dude if you got an Edsel and took it to Icon and they've made like a derelict or like a um, they, like one of their resto mods with one of these it'd things it'd be, be the sickest car. ever I know yeah. it would be but it'd be different you know yeah yeah but still you'd have to drive it and park it and maintain it dude and in this I don't think you really want to do take, that where I, in this fantasy where I'm taking cars to Icon willy nilly yeah. I'm so rich that I don't care that I don't drive it you know what I'm saying? Okay, that's a good yeah. fantasy. Um, uh, I spent a little bit of this podcast casting this movie. Oh, okay, let's uh, get to that. And I was looking up their pictures and stuff when I should have been paying attention. But uh, can I run some names past you and you tell me if I cast it well or not? Sure, let's do it. Okay, Henry Ford played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, yes. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. But like senile. Yes. Oh, he he's he's gonna like do some what do they call it? Uh, method acting, and oh, he's yeah. gonna get in get in character like two months beforehand. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna and it's gonna be like at moments, poten- potentially grotesque. Yeah. Uh, Edsel Ford played by Rafe Rafe Fines. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Hank the Deuce played by Joel Edgerton. I was gonna say Joel Edgerton. Nice. Uh, how do we how do we come together on that? That's hive like mind, like, dude. I get, dude. We are friends. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is crazy. Yeah, but Joel, yeah, Joel Edgerton, Edgerton ha- has to gain like thirty pounds. He's got to gain some weight. He's got to put on some some pounds. That's so. My second choice, if he doesn't want to do that, and if maybe he's too expensive, <laughs> mm-hmm. is to get the the redheaded dude from the Master. What's that guy's name? Jesse Plemons. Oh, oh yeah. Jesse Plemons Jesse would be Plemons great. Would be I kind of I, I like that more than I love my boy Joel. Yeah, but Jesse Plemons I think would be a great Hank. And Deuce. again, he's he, got to gain a little weight, not a lot, just a little. Um, oh, follow up. Did you get in the get in contact with the police about oh, that? Oh yeah, bone? what's up with that bone? No, I got lazy yesterday. It's still <laughs> in this bag. The bones in the bag, but <laughs> oh I was looking at it some more. And what I found out what I after I looked closer was that the end of it is just cut off. It's not broken. It's not bitten. It's, what? It's like a clean cut. So like, I don't know. Did someone like chop up a body? Yeah, someone in, but you found them it, up. You found it in your yard though, right? Not in my yard. I want to make that very clear. Okay. This is my, not my direct neighbor, but the neighbor past them. It was falling out of like a retaining wall that was kind of disintegrating Whoa. yeah there's so a it, whole body in there dude i've been dude, looking you, you i've been taking alfie on a walk and i look and i i poke at it and you, like you gotta call the police on this you gotta call the police joe well so did i tell you about my neighbor her dad is a, a retired detective and he took a, a look at the picture and he said yeah for sure that's human yeah but he said if you call them they're not going to come just pick it up. So I have to go to a cop station and I hate talking to cops. Yeah, you got to go to the cop store. Yeah, why is it so hard to solve a murder these days? <laughs> I tell you, I just should I should turn it over to Karen Kilgariff and she'll figure it out. Yeah, that All is right. a good another podcast. 
Femur talk. <laughs> just Joe finds a bone and we just go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we make very little progress each week where it's like, Joe, you still yeah. have the bone, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. All right. So that is past gas for this week. Give us a review or tell a friend. It helps us make more of these episodes. Uh, if you want to hear more episodes about car flops, let us know in the comments. We're always taking episode suggestions. Yeah, just thank you so much for listening. It really does mean a lot. Follow James on all social media at James Pumphrey. Follow Joe at Joe G. Weber. Let's get his numbers up. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes and follow Donut. Check out the Donut YouTube channel if, you, if you've if you never watched our videos. Donut Media on YouTube. Check it out. Be kind. Keep it juiced. I love you. See you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because... It can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.